0: Director of the Multiculture Affairs Office, and on behalf of the Martin Luther King Day Committee and the Multiculture Affairs Office, I would like to welcome you to this morning's convocation. On today, we will celebrate the legacy of Dr. King through the arts. We are honored to have with us poet Brenda Cardenas and baritone Tony Brown. King stated that beautiful music is the art of the prophets that can calm the agitations of the soul. It is one of the most magnificent and delightful presents God has given unto us. On this morning, Voices in Harmony will come to you with two selections. The first song is entitled, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And the second selection is entitled, Glory to the Lamb. We invite you to sing with us as we sing praises unto our King Jesus and then as we honor Dr. Martin Luther King.
1: Repeat after me, okay? Say glory, glory, glory to our King. To the Lamb who was slain for our being. Glory, glory, glory to our King. To the Lamb who was slain for our our We cry glory, glory to, our to our King! Come on, somebody give God the glory. Say we cry glory, glory to, our to our King. Oh, hey, say glory, glory, glory to our King. To the Right. Glory. To our King. To our King. Yeah. Now we're going to say holy. Say holy, holy, holy is our King. Holy, holy, holy is our King. He's the lamb who was slain for our being. Yeah. Oh, say holy, holy, holy is our King. Yeah. He's the Lamb who was slain for our being. Say. Hey, say we cry to our, to our King. Oh, oh. say we cry Lord. to our King. To our king. Yeah. Everybody say Hallelujah. Lord, you're worthy. You're so worthy. Say hallelujah. Lord, you worthy. You're so worthy. Say hallelujah. Lord, you worthy. Hallé. You're so worthy. Say hallelujah. Lord, you worthy. You're so worthy you're so worthy you're so worthy lord we love you we love you we love you we love you because you. you're holy you're so holy you're so holy you're so holy you're so righteous lord you're righteous lord you're righteous lord you're righteous and we love you. And we thank you. And we praise you. Magnify. You. And we love you. We praise you. We thank you. Magnify. You, you say we cry. To our king.
0: Let's give it up one more time for Voices in Harmony. (laughs) Glory to our King. At this time, I would like to introduce to you our master of ceremony for today's convocation, Dr. Leroy Berry, who's our professor of political science here at Goshen College. Dr. Leroy Berry.
2: Thank you, Odolette. I uh, was asked to do this to introduce our speakers today but I think that one of the characteristics of an an MC is there's some room for discretion and so I'm going to exercise that discretion and give an assignment to those students who have my class tonight. Uh, Intro to Public Policy. You're to bring your constitutions that you're supposed to get from somewhere. So bring them. We will be, I'm counting on you, we'll be interested in amendments 1 through 15. (laughs) That's no joke. (laughs) Now back to the matter at hand. Um, This morning we, at the prayer, at the uh, breakfast, in honor of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., we had uh, some Uh, a good time with our guest today. Uh, The young lady who has come to be with us from the University of Wisconsin at Milwaukee, Miss Brenda Cardenas, is going to speak to this campus audience again in the words of the poet, for she is a poet, and as I've been told, it is the poet's who have the last word. So without further ado, Miss Brenda Cárdenas, who has her published two books, one in 2009, Boomerang, the second, or the earlier one, Tongues of Brick and Stone in 2005. She will speak to us now. Would you please come forward?
3: Thank you so much. Um, I'm very honored to be here and to have been able to share this past weekend with your amazing students and to be able to share today with all of you um, such a, a special day, such an important day. As you know, as you all know, Martin Luther King inspired struggles for human rights and for civil rights, not only in this country, but for oppressed peoples all over the world. And we could see that work beginning, the extension of his work in his, the Poor People's Campaign that he waged on Washington DC, or that he wished to wage on Washington DC at the, near the end of his life. Um, part of the, some of the others that were involved in the Poor People's Campaign included Corky Gonzalez, a Chicano activist at the time, and many others. Um, one of the people that Martin Luther King inspired so greatly inspired was the Chicano activist Cesar Chavez who was the leader of the United Farm Workers movement fought for the rights of working people oppressed Chicano um, people all over this country and um, I heard a story once that I wanted to share with you because to me it embodies what the connection is between civil rights, and work for social justice, and the arts. And that story is that the poet, Lorna de Cervantes, who's been a great inspiration to me, she's a Mexican-American, a Chicana poet, she um, had the good fortune to meet Cesar Chavez one time. And it was at a big conference, and Cesar was the guest of honor, and there were many, many people at this conference. And she had to stand in line for a long time to be able to go up to Cesar Chavez and shake his hand and and finally meet him. And she decided that she wanted to give him her first volume of poetry, Emplumada. But she was a bit nervous about doing this because how do you hand somebody as great as Cesar Chavez, you know, your little book of poems, right? And she decided, I'm going to do it anyway. So she got up to the front, and she introduced herself, and she said to him, I want to give you this collection of my poems, because without you and without all the work you've done for civil rights and for human rights and for the dignity of our people, I would never have been able to write these poems. I would never have felt that I had a voice that I could put on paper and share publicly with people. And Cesar Chavez looked at her with a little smile, a little twinkle in his eye, and he said, I already have this book. I've already read every poem. And she just looked at him and he said, if it weren't for the artists, if it weren't for the poets, if it weren't for the musicians, I wouldn't be able to do the work that I do either, because you keep me going. You inspire me. We feed each other. And so for me, that's the connection between the arts and civil rights and work for the work for human rights. Um, so I'm going to begin with a poem by a poet who's, another poet who's greatly inspired me, whose name is Martina Espada. And Martina Espada, um, practically everything he writes is in some way connect, connected to um, social justice. And the one I'm going to share with you, He wrote uh, pretty shortly after the terrible tragedy of 9-11. And he decided that he wanted to make sure that we didn't forget all of the workers, all of the common people who died in the towers that day, who were working in the kitchen, in the restaurant. And so he wrote this poem in praise of those people. And it's called Alabanza which means praise in Spanish, alabanza in praise of Local 100 for the 43 members of the hotel employees and restaurant employees Local 100 working at the Windows on the World Restaurant who lost their lives in the attack on the World Trade Center. Alabanza praised the cook with the shaven head and a tattoo on his shoulder that said, oye. A blue-eyed Puerto Rican with people from Fajardo, the harbor of pirates centuries ago. Praise the lighthouse in Fajardo, candle glimmering white to worship the dark saint of the sea, Alabanza. Praise the cook's yellow pirate's cap worn in the name of Roberto Clemente, his plane that flamed into the ocean, loaded with cans for Nicaragua for all the mouths chewing the ash of earthquakes, Alabanza. Praise the kitchen radio. Dial clicked even before the dial on the oven so that music and Spanish rose before bread. Praise the bread. Alabanza. Praise Manhattan from 107 flights up like Atlantis glimpsed through the windows of an ancient aquarium. Praise the great windows where immigrants from the kitchen could squint and almost see their world. Hear the chant of nations. Ecuador, Mexico, República Dominicana, Haiti, Yemen, Ghana, Bangladesh, Alabanza. Praise the kitchen in the morning where the gas burned blue on every stove and exhaust fans fired their diminutive propellers. Hands cracked eggs with quick thumbs or sliced open cartons to build an altar of cans. Alabanza. Praise the busboy's music, the chime-chime of his dishes and silverware in the tub. Alabanza, Praise the dish dog, the dishwasher who worked that morning because another dishwasher could not stop coughing or because he needed overtime to pile the sacks of rice and beans for a family floating away on some Caribbean island plagued by frogs alabanza, praise the waitress who heard the radio in the kitchen and sang to herself about a man gone, alabanza, after the thunder wilder than thunder, after the booming ice storm of glass from the great windows, after the radio stopped singing like a tree full of terrified frogs, after night burst the dam of day and flooded the kitchen for a time The stoves glowed in darkness like the lighthouse in Fajardo, like a cook's soul. Soul, I say, even if the dead cannot tell us about the bristles of God's beard because God has no face. Soul, I say, to name the smoke beans flung in constellations across the night sky of this city and cities to come. Alabanza, I say, even if God has no face. Alabanza. when the war began from Manhattan to Kabul, two constellations of smoke rose and drifted to each other, mingling in icy air, and one said with an Afghan tongue, teach me to dance, we have no music here. And the other said with a Spanish tongue, I will teach you music is all we have. And so um, I give you that also um, in thanks to all of the wonderful musicians that we have here with us today, keeping the music going, keeping the rhythms going. I'd also like to share with you a, a few poems of my own. And um, I'm sure that many of you m- may remember the Zapatista movement that arose in southern Mexico in the 1990s as an indigenous struggle for the most basic human rights and necessities, for things like water and land rights. If you recall, the situation became incredibly volatile near in the late 1990s when the Mexican government's death squads began routinely attacking and slaughtering whole villages of poor people, mostly Mayan Indians. This is the Zapatista struggle um, is one that I can't imagine um, that Dr. King would not have had empathy for, although he would have told them to put down their arms um, and to, to have that struggle peacefully. At the time, I was involved in a human, I mean, I'm sorry, in a number of organized protests and actions regarding the issue here in the United States. And I became friends with a human rights activist, a man that had spent years serving as what he called an accompaniment worker. And that meant that he went into villages, mostly in Guatemala, basically as an unarmed bodyguard, and accompanied people who had received death threats when they had to leave their homes or their villages, the hope being that they would not be abducted or killed due to the presence of this white American witness, that that would somehow stop um, the death squads from taking them. And my friend was a seasoned veteran of this kind of work when he went to Chiapas right before the 1997 Akteal Massacre. As fearless as he was, when he returned from that trip, he was shell-shocked, he shut himself up, and he was silent for some months. And this poem tries to commemorate all of that, A, because the situation for indigenous and poor people all over Mexico and really all over the world continues today. The conditions really aren't much better, and the oppression um, continues to exist and b because I think it's important for us to recognize just how dark and just how hopeless the struggle can feel sometimes for the incredibly courageous activists who put their lives on the line for it people like Dr. King faced some dark moments he kept going he always believed and keeping moving the struggle forward but there were dark moments there were hard times and so I think it's important to recognize that so that we, the rest of us, can continue to be support for those people who are fighting for these struggles right out on the front lines. And so my poem is called Turning. Another year turns south of the loop, marches beneath el arco de la villita. Circle the sidewalk, bark Chicago's blue-fisted. Keep moving, billy clubs in tow. I weave my ribboned voice into the chant, Zapata vive, vive, wrap my fingers around the stick stapled to a black Zapatista mask kerchiefed in red. La lucha sigue, sigue, that Theo passes me in this dizzying tread over the same ground. Presidente Cedillo's paper mache head bobs above prison stripes. As he sprints up and down Calle 26, spins beneath the blows of cardboard machetes that slice and scoop the air like scavengers. Some laugh at this spectacle, then shout, alto a la militarización, at this theater of the absurd. Alto a la represión!" Our circle stretches to an oval, January breaths rising in chorus. I think of the friends who turned at midnight to hold me in the hoops of their arms as the earth completed its revolution. I think of my uncle's cancer nesting in his hunger in the snipped and sheared sack that remained after the war, after ulcers had shredded almost all of his stomach. And I think of you, camarada, in the jungles of Chiapas, waiting like a cat for nights to shield you from the eyes of federales, armies who blockaded the villages, camps, Maya refugee cells of starvation, waiting so you could sneak past barricades to bear witness, bring food. Place your body between Los Tzotzilas and the death squads that would turn just before the year and open fire on the people of Acteal. The army would not let you pass, so you waited 10 miles from the sunlit massacre. Our oval slows to a rectangle, and who of us now is not thinking? of Los Xotxiles embracing 45 caskets, one infant, 14 children, 21 women, nine men, while their murderers wove between the mourners in a chain link of intimidation. From La Vita in Chicago, we can shout, pray, pledge. But when bullhorns rest and the streets clear, we turn back to frosted windshields, rumble of the L-stop, at the panaderia where we pile our tray high with pan dulce. The lumps of dough and sugar catch in my throat, and I think of doctors slicing my uncle's stomach from his body like a rotten wedge of fruit. One week after babies were carved from their mother's bellies at Acteal, how they will never savor nor crave, and he will eat for the rest of his life, four bites at a time all day long to keep himself from starving. I think of you now, camarada. Only hours away from me, alone in your room, tarps pulled tight over the windows to seal out any crease of light, the fire so low in the stove that you can watch your own breath dissipate into the kerosene shadows. You do not call on me to bring blankets or tea, to listen to the ten-year list of bodies you identified in the morgues of Guatemala after walking with them to the store, the rivers, the milpas where masa begins. You do not ask me to repeat the 45 names on crosses piercing the soil. You do not call further from me now than that plot of earth where their corpses lie, than the hope that I force myself to swallow. So um, I know that's depressing, but it can be depressing. And we have to recognize that and acknowledge that because only through acknowledging that and recognizing that can we continue to move forward and support each other, right, in all of these struggles. I'm going to end on a more hopeful poem or a little bit more, a little less, a little bit less sad poem. Um, that I actually wrote when the poet and activist um, Jose Antonio Bursiaga passed away. And Jose Antonio Bursiaga was such an important figure for Mexican-Americans, for Chicanos, um, because he wrote books of essays, short little books, with tiny short little essays that were about all different aspects of the culture. And through these essays, young people could learn about their own history, a history that was never being taught to them in the schools until very recently, um, and about their own culture. And um, he made it palatable because of his humor and because these essays were short and direct. and, And so he was very important in that way. He was also a visual artist. And he painted a very famous mural called The Last Supper of Chicano Heroes. And the Last Supper of Chicano heroes is the Last Supper table with Jesus in the middle. But the apostles that flank Jesus are Martin Luther King, and Malcolm X, and Cesar Chavez, and even the Virgin of Guadalupe. She's there surrounded by her aura, right? And Emiliano Zapata, right? And many, many others. These are the the apostles surrounding Jesus in that particular painting. Um, And it's very well known among um, Chicanos, but I don't know that the rest of the world knows it. This poem um, commemorates him and also um, is really about the, the fact that, as the fact that as Mexican people, as Mexican American people, we are always between cultures, right? We are a mix. We are mestizos. We are in. We have indigenous roots. We have African roots. We have European roots in Spain. And then when we're in the United States, we also become Americans, and that's often looked upon negatively. You're neither here nor there. Ni acá ni allá. Not one or not the other. And Bursiaga taught me to celebrate that rather to, than to look at it as a bad thing. And I know that it's not only Latinos who are mixed in this way. More of us are, have mixed cultural heritages and ethnic backgrounds, uh, probably most of us do. Um, so this celebrates that as well. And it's called Zacuan Papalotos. And that is a word in the Aztec language, Nahuatl, that means the monarch butterfly. There's a line in Spanish in here, mariposas negras y anaranjadas." that means black and orange butterflies. Zacuan papalotos. There's an epigraph from Bursiaga. He said, we are chameleons. We become chameleon. We are space between the black-orange blur of a million monarchs on their two-generation migration south to fur crowned Michoacán, where tree trunks will sprout feathers, a forest of paper-thin wings. Our Mexica cocooned in the membranes de la madre tierra say we are we- reborn Zacuan papalotos, mariposas, negras y anaranjadas, in whose sweep the dead whisper we are between, the flicker of a chameleon's tail that turns his desert blue backbone to jade or pink sand, the snake-skinned fraternal twins of solstice and equinox, the ashen dawn, silvering dusk, la racion as it leaves the lips, the tug from sleep, the glide into dreams that husk our mestizo memory. We are one life passing through the prism of all others, gathering color and song, sempasuchil and drum, to leave a rhythm scattered on the wind, dust tinting the tips of fingers as we slip into our new light. And I think for me that's what Dr. King was about, that we are one life passing through the prism of all others, gathering color and song from one another as we go. Thank you very much. Gracias.
2: Thank you, Brenda. I remember hearing Martin Luther King or read of him commenting one time that he was so taken up with his work in the Civil Rights Movement that he longed for a time when he could reflect and think about the events that were unfolding and that he was helping to unfold. Reflection was what he longed to do, but had no time for. Tony Brown, who needs no introduction to this campus, I think, has come back to us to celebrate this day. And he comes to us as a singer a person who has been a professional counselor, a person who is a teacher. He has been involved in an effort which he has come to call piecing it together. It is making music work for the greater good. Those are his words. His work has taken him to Northern Ireland where he's been invited through music. To try to help bridge the divide between two groups of people who believe that they're both right without exception. It has taken him to Ethiopia where Muslims and Christian Orthodox face each other or one another and attempt to make a bridge in their divide. So he continues trying to help piece it together. But of late he has begun to think about these frenetic times, he tells me. The fast-paced technology of our time versus the longing of the human spirit for a rather more a slower pace to contemplate, to meditate, to feed the soul. It is this message he wants to speak to us and sing to us about today as we celebrate Martin Luther King's legacy and the lessons that he tried to teach us. Tony.
4: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be back uh, in a place I still call home, uh, Goshen, Indiana, and particularly, specifically, uh, Goshen College. I also want to send you greetings from uh, President Howard Keim and the faculty and staff at Heston College. And I also, because I may not get to see many of you, say hello from us to you. That's, that's you, Heston transfers. I hope you made the transition well and I hope you do us proud. In my travels around the world, I always start by saying that the earth is my house and in it are many rooms. I discover that the people of this room, the Goshen, Indiana room or the American room are much like the people in the China room or in the South Korean room or in the Ugandan room or in the Russian room and that part of our challenge is to find the ways where we can be together as one people across the many divides that for too long has kept us apart. Music for me seems to be one of the one of the best vehicles to do that and I've been so blessed to be able to use it as a way to bring people together. In my reflections, reading, and conversations with people, I began to see back in the 80s that modernism, for all of its good, came with a price. It had sped up our lives, and to some extent, it had mechanized our lives. The appropriate metaphor that seems to describe what happened to us in the 20th century is the metaphor of the machine. We seem to have less time to be human as we increasingly take on the behaviors of the machine. I could give many, many examples of that, but for the sake of time, I won't. Author James Hillman describes these times in this way. We live in an extroverted society where anything less than mania is considered depression. Fast food, fast cars, one-hour photo services, and speed checkouts are some of the testimony to our desire to make a hyperactive lifestyle the norm. Soul was giving way to efficiency, to productivity, and to a tendency to make technology the answer to life's problems. Increasingly in our country, it is when our technology fails us that we consider connecting to the transcendent. Getting it done faster and without human contact makes it better. However, alienation and fragmentation are all too often the result. It became increasingly clear to me that the soul's work, unlike the technologies of our age, is not quick and informational. Thomas More in his book, The Care of the Soul, suggests that the soul's work is slow. It involves the heart, our feelings, and requires a reflective, meditative approach to life. God and religion for many in the Western world seem more like a tradition to perpetuate for the sake of the children rather than a vital way to connect to the profound through prayer, music, meditation. It was something you did rather than something you experienced. Many, particularly today's youth, are looking for more authentic expressions of faith where they can explore and deal with the complex issues of our times. Many of you will be the new architects for this new community. And I am excited and look forward to your leadership. I don't fear it. I welcome the change that you will inevitably inevitably bring. The psychosocial-spiritual void created by a lack of human and spiritual connection where we live our lives on the surface can create an existential pain such that meaning and purpose in life seems elusive. Depression, violence, and addictions of a variety of kinds are but a few of its symptoms. I resonated with the words of Rabbi Abram Heschel when he spoke of the need for awe. In his view, without awe, we lose touch with the sacred. Awe, he says, is an intuition for the dignity of all things, a realization that things not only are what they are, but also stand, however remotely, for something supreme. Awe is another word for mysticism, and it leads to divine wisdom. Martin Luther King knew of this wisdom, and he used it to advance the cause of peace, justice, equality, and freedom. His life was a fine example of soul-making as he lived at the center of our socially constructed chaos and found ways to unite us around a common purpose. Whites, blacks, Protestants and Catholics, rich and poor, young and old, all came together to struggle for the dignity of all people. His efforts led to the dismantling of Jim Crow in the Deep South and in the passing of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Truly, the 60s, were the most soulful years of the 20th century. He understood that transcendent, transcendence, another word for a spiritual force outside of ourselves, offers a way to love that can help heal the wounds of the world. Pierre Teilhard de Cardin reminds us that a person is sacred because humanity is first and foremost spiritual. We are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Martin Luther King understood this and helped to awaken this sense in the lives of all people. His life was dedicated to the healing of this nation. The longer he worked at it, the greater was his influence and impact. Let that be a lesson for us. He was masterful at befriending the enemy through nonviolent protest. He was inclusive and brought people of all walks of life together for a common purpose. He inspired an entire generation. And through the wonders of technology, he continues to inspire us today. He appealed to the higher aspirations of others and he used his understandings of the teachings of Jesus to guide his efforts. It is fitting that we celebrate the life of this remarkable man. We are the ones here to help make his dream come true. His words, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Those words are fitting for these times as well. We are indeed all connected, and we must become the one. For the sake of our future and for the survival of our planet, All is not lost. Like Martin Luther King and so many who came before him and on whose shoulders he stood, I invite you to jump on the bandwagon for peace, the bandwagon for justice, the bandwagon for equality and freedom. Seek to live a deeper, more soulful life, Speak the words of freedom. Do the deeds of justice. Share the gift of love. Thank you very much. Do I have time? Do I have time?
5: I'm Christy Bonfiglio, and it is my pleasure to represent the MLK Day Committee and to again extend a sincere thank you to Professors Tony Brown and Brenda Cardenas for sharing of your talents with us here at Goshen College today. A special thank you as well to Dr. Barry and Voices in Harmony. I would like to quickly recognize the members of the MLK Committee, Odalette Nance, Michelle Fanfare, Regina Shan Stoltzfus, Julie Bruneau, and Jessica Baldanzi. Please join us in continuing the celebration of the legacy of Dr. King with the town hall discussion facilitated by Professor Stoltzfus following here in the fellowship hall. Following lunch, the Latino Youth Collective will be conducting a workshop in relation to the DREAM Act and their initiative to ensure that every individual has the chance to attend college. This will also be occurring in the fellowship hall. Please also remember Haiti in your prayers. As a reminder, there are Haitian relief canisters across campus in Java Junction and the dining hall where you can give towards this relief. Let me close with a quote from Dr. King. Every man must decide whether he will walk in the light of creative altruism or in the darkness of destructive selfishness. Let our community at Goshen College continue to walk in this light. Thank you.